And I was like, no mom, you can't have my Netflix password unless you're contributing to the bill. All 30 of us on the account contribute to the bill. And if you wanna watch Netflix, you gotta throw some money on the bill. <laughs> Am I live? Oh. Let me hit you back, let me hit you back. Oh. Uh, um, welcome back healthy people to another great episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. We're keeping the healthy information rolling. Rolling like my Pittsburgh Steelers right out of the playoffs. That was a tough loss for me, but we'll be all right. We'll be all right. In today's HPI, aka Healthy People Information, for those uninitiated to the podcast, I'm going to discuss the basics of vaccines. If someone asks you what a vaccine is, could you explain what it is? Yeah, something that I side-eye when a doctor offers it to me. You're not about to infect me, Dr. Randy. Well, thank you for your honesty in answering that question. Well, I'd like to inform you on vaccines and help ease some of your concerns. A majority of the information I'm providing is from the CDC. So the information is widely available to look up and read for yourself. I'm just going to help explain it to you. According to the CDC, a vaccine is a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease protecting the person from that disease. Vaccines are usually administered through needle injections, but can also be administered by mouth or sprayed into the nose. And according to Webster's Dictionary, a vaccine is a preparation of killed microorganisms, living attenuated organism, which means weakened bacteria or viruses, or living fully virulent organisms that is administered to reduce or artificially increase immunity to a particular disease. Whew. There you go. You receive two definitions from two separate sources on what a vaccine is. I know someone out there doesn't trust the government and the CDC is a government agency. Therefore, I figured I'd provide you a second source from someone outside of the government. So that's why you get the definition from Webster's Dictionary. Well, who is Webster, Dr. Randy? I don't have time for this. The goal of a vaccine is to provide immunity from an infectious disease. If you are immune to a disease, you can be exposed to it without becoming infected or have a very low potential of getting infected. As mentioned in the definition of a vaccine, a vaccine can be administered via injections such as a tetanus or pneumonia vaccine, pill form like the typhoid vaccine or intranasal so a nasal spray like the flu vaccine, which is rarely given intranasally. Vaccines can help reduce your chances of certain infections like the flu, pneumonia, certain types of hepatitis, and COVID. I'll get into COVID on another podcast talking about that vaccine, but this is just the warm-up to kind of introducing vaccines in general. So this is a warm-up. Shout out to J. Cole. Vaccines can also help to reduce the risk of developing cervical cancer in women. Well, what are in these vaccines, Dr. Randy? Vaccines consist of components that serve three main purposes. Provide immunity, keep the vaccine safe and long-lasting, and for the production of the vaccine. Components consist of items like stabilizers, which can be sugars or gelatins that help keep the vaccine effective after it's manufactured. 
Imagine if you ordered some brand new headphones and by the time you received them in the mail, they didn't work or only one side of the headphones worked. That would be a terrible set of headphones. So stabilizers help to ensure that by the time the vaccine reaches a patient, to be vaccinated is still effective. Another component consists of residual cell materials such as egg protein. Manufacturers have to grow these viruses and bacteria that are needed for vaccines. Consequently, the bacteria and viruses need something to quote unquote feed on to grow. This is where residual cell materials such as egg protein come into play. On the other end, you also need components to kill organism components of bacteria because every vaccine is not necessarily a live vaccine. Meaning the organism component is alive but is very, very weakened. There are some vaccines such as MMR, which is measles, mumps, and rubella that are live organisms, but they are very weak and have very minimal risk of potentially causing harm. However, a large majority of vaccines consist of dead organisms, so you need something to kill these organisms. Residual inactivating ingredients, yeah, that's a big word, well, a couple of big words. Residual inactivating ingredients such as formaldehyde are used to kill viruses or inactivate toxins during the manufacturing component. Yes, a small portion of formaldehyde, which is in some household cleaning products, could possibly be in a vaccine to kill bacteria. But please bear in mind that formaldehyde is also made naturally in your body. And this substance is not in every vaccine. And the amount of formaldehyde, if it's in a vaccine, is very, very minimal and very low risk to cause harm. Other components in vaccines include items that kill bacteria that potentially may contaminate the process. Manufacturers try to do their best of making sure other bacterias like that are just on surfaces or just around do not contaminate the vaccine. So there are certain components that the manufacturer may add to the vaccine to kill those bacteria that may contaminate that vaccine. Components can also include items that help boost the body's response to the vaccines and also preservatives. All of the items that I just referenced are not in each and every vaccine, but are the most common components. The most important components of vaccine, of course, are the organisms. They can be bacteria, viruses, genetic components like RNA, which is in the COVID vaccine, and proteins. These items help to stimulate the immune response and provide immunity. Whew, that was a lot. So I hope y'all were able to take it all in. Go back and listen to it again for repetitious purposes. Look all this information up for yourself on the CDC website. If you have any questions, also talk to your doctor about all the things that I explained. That was a mouthful. Whew, I'm tired, boss. But I hope that gave you a better explanation of what are the types of vaccines, pill form, injectable, intranasal, the components in vaccines, like I mentioned, the gelatin components, the formaldehyde, the organism components, and all the other items that I listed. And I hope you know how vaccines work now. Today's interview guest is Brandon Cheatham, one of my lifelong friends. And when I say lifelong, I mean I've been knowing Brandon since preschool. 
I've been knowing Brandon since my first memory. I remember us in preschool going around singing Bobby Brown, My Prerogatives. So I've known him since I can ever remember. We even have a class picture together of us in preschool. He looks age appropriate and I look like I should already be in middle school. I was a giant compared to everyone else. I'll put a picture up on my Instagram at underscore Dr. Randy so you can all see what I'm talking about. Brandon is a civil engineer with Chevron and in the last four years he worked overseas in the UK until COVID hit. I thought it would be interesting to talk with someone who chose to work and live overseas. Brandon and I will discuss what went into his decision to live overseas, what was it like living over there as a black American, and what happened to him when COVID hit. So let's get into the interview with Brandon Cheatham, civil engineer, world traveler, and Cheeto Puff King on this next episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. Five with me now. Five with me now. On my East Coast. Oh, we're not bringing that back. We're not bringing that back. No, we're not. <laughs> All right, let's get it started, y'all. So what's up, everybody? This is Dr. Randy, aka Dr. Nuke, hanging out with my good friend, Brandon Cheatham. I have literally known this guy all my <laughs> life since we yeah. were little, since preschool. Yeah, yeah. YMCA basketball. Yep, yep. We're going to throw a couple of pictures in there from us uh, being little and hanging out together. Like, I can, as far as I can remember, I've always known Brandon my entire life. So we're sitting here chilling with him and talking to him basically about him working overseas and what it's like working overseas and then in addition to that how COVID affected him working overseas so if you could bring just tell us a little bit about as far as like what type of job did you have overseas okay yeah so uh currently living uh in London uh in a project management role so I work in oil and gas um so I'm working on uh on a project on the client side we're managing a number of um, engineering service contractors uh, mm -hmm. that are working on the project. So I've been overseas about four years now. So mm -hmm. January 17th, 2021 will officially make uh, four years. Initially went there anticipating being overseas, you know, 18 months and then turned into two years, turned into four years. Uh, overall, it's been a good experience um no complaints uh whatsoever honestly you know, my background is a uh, civil by degree okay. um grew up between texas louisiana but born in port arthur as randy mentioned you know mm -hmm. been knowing each other since childhood you know friends i remember spending the night sleepovers oh, yeah. basketball oh, yeah. riding bikes yeah. yeah, uh, we used to watch so, uh, yeah. Transformers together and stuff. <laughs> Ninja Turtles, the, yeah. Yep, Randy had the cool TV trays. I, I remember us <laughs> going to see Ninja Turtles, the first movie, like in 89 or 90. Yeah, yes. I remember us bringing dolls. I know I had, we had to be like four, five years yeah. old, but yeah, that's man. how excited we were just to go see, the, see that movie together. <laughs> I think that was a late night feature too. Like parents, yeah, kept us up late and stuff. So, I mean, what made you decide to go work overseas? Yeah, I think for me, um, initially graduating from school, like going into that last year, uh, I was interested in working, you know, globally at some point. I think, um, you know, I, I wanted to 
kind of live outside of Houston for a little bit. And if there was an opportunity, you know, to work abroad, it wasn't at the time, it wasn't specifically London. Honestly, London wasn't even on my radar. I thought it was going to be, you know, maybe somewhere in some part of uh, Africa or, you know, maybe somewhere in Australia or East Asia um, Why at the time. Uh, I think just because in oil and gas and at, the, at that point in time, that's just where a lot of the opportunities were. So quite a bit of opportunities, you know, rotation opportunities like in uh, Nigeria and Angola. There were quite a few opportunities in uh, certain parts of uh, Australia and then certain parts of East Asia. So, I mean, that was always an interest of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was always on my radar, but uh, really the London opportunity kind of came about me just one voice in that I was interested in, you know, open to global opportunities at kind of right place at the right time. So that, I think that's how it kind of came about. But I think the biggest thing was I was just, I let it, you know, I was kind of pretty vocal about, hey, you know, if there's any abroad opportunities that I thought, you know, kind of the right fit that I was interested for in my mobility. Did you do any internships outside of the country during undergrad? No, I didn't. Uh, I did not. I, I, I wouldn't say that is actually necessary. You know, I wouldn't say it's a prerequisite to working abroad. I think, you know, it's definitely an advantage. It definitely exposes you to things outside of the kind of, I would say, from if you're coming from the States, you know, kind of your normal frame of reference, uh, even like, you know, just little things. Uh, you know, in the UK, the the way that you may interact in a restaurant is, you know, even a little different than you would in the States, right? You know, from customer service a little different, you know, Mm -hmm. the interaction that you may have with the waiter or waitress, of course, Mm -hmm. this is like pre-COVID, is going to be a little bit different. And, you know, there's just certain different, you know, expectations. Right, right. Um, Can you give an example of something like that? Yeah, so like if I go to a restaurant in the States, it's pretty typical for the waiter or the waitress to come to your table, you know, quite a bit, you know, ask you, is everything okay? Fill Mm -hmm. your you know, cut with water quite a bit, you know, and kind of constantly checking on you. And I think it's because the incentive is that they're, tips. you know, we're trying to push to get a tip. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Versus in the UK, everyone, the tip's already built into the check, right? Okay. So you can tip additionally if you want, but whether you do or you don't, you know, they're going to get how much they're already kind of, uh, they're agreed upon hourly rate, right? right? So... I'm not saying the customer service is poor, it's just different. So you may, it's just a different motivation, right? And so I find that a lot of times that sometimes in the UK, uh, especially if it's more casual dying, you know, they may not come to your table, you know, every 10 minutes asking you if you want water, you know. And, you know, when I was living in the States, you know, sometimes when people kind of flag and like wave down the waiter or waitress, mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, mm, you know, is that kind of like rude or is it, you know, really necessary? Person in the UK, it's very common. Like, hey, I need you to come. And, <laughs> it's like you, know, you just—you never just, came back. Ex- exactly. It's like you need a lot of times. You may have to tell them that, hey, you know, I need this or I need that. Not that it's poor customer service is just different, and you know, yeah. the interactions are uh, different. I think, and I think also sometimes in the UK, they may assume that if you're not asking for something, that everything is okay, right? They're just kind of giving you time to interact mm-hmm. with your guests and enjoy your meal and they'll mm-hmm. come kind of as needed. Uh, so it's just different. Right. Okay. Um, so, I mean, and that's like a very like subtle mm-hmm. uh, difference uh, compared to the States of the UK, but you just start kind of 
taking kind of mental notes of kind of all these little subtle differences. And, you know, before you know it, there's like this kind of pretty wide degree of variance from kind of your original, you know, frame of reference. Right, right. But um, I think for me, uh, even though I hadn't, London wasn't on the, like my original plan. I think for me, it was an opportunity. I think, personally, I didn't feel like I had like a strong dependence on being in the States, at least for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was kind of open to it. And, I, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of an adventure, you know, this opportunity to kind of live abroad and uh, kind of experience new things, have different touch points, meet new people. Right, right. Yeah. That's why I wanted to ask you, too. What made you kind of have the interest of want to go live abroad? Because that's that's a big step because you're separating yourself basically from everybody that you know here in the States and kind of setting up a new life over there and not able to travel back and forth probably as frequently as you would like to, to see certain friends and certain family like that. That's a major step. Yeah, I will say. um, So, you know, from an interesting point, I think I was just uh, really a large interest in travel. So Mm -hmm. I think my first trip out of the States, you know, maybe like a kind of a smaller international trip. I went to the Caribbean. And then I think my first big trip overseas, I did a trip to Greece mm-hmm. with a group of folks. Um, and we ended up taking like a Mediterranean cruise. Actually, I'll take, where did we go? We started in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And then we took a cruise to parts of Italy and France. Um, and then I think another year we went to Greece. And after that, in my mind, I was like, okay, every year, at least once a year, I want to take some kind of big international trip. Big as in, what I'm saying big is in like <laughs> at least a week or so, you know, international trip somewhere abroad. Um, so if y'all don't know, Brand- Brandon me- is balling. He's over there taking international <laughs> trips. You can do them like once a year. Like, huh, let me look in the map. Let me see where I want to go this year. This young, rich, black person over there got good money. To, I, w- got- I, I wish, man. <laughs> Don't don't let Instagram fool you. I think um, <laughs> so. I think that's part of the attraction. Also, living abroad is like so. So the the travel aspect, and then I was like, okay, I'm really interested in travel. How would it be just to kind of live overseas, right? And I would say the really a really great thing I like enjoy about London um, is that. So if I'm in Houston, I could spend what three hundred. I don't know, you know, maybe anywhere two hundred, four hundred dollars to a trip to like Vegas or to. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Miami, I'm just talking about like flights, right? Yeah. In London, for less than $200, of course, it's like pre-COVID, you know, I could get a flight to Paris, Barcelona, to multiple countries, you know, mm-hmm. that are all within two hours of each other. And all each one have like a very different, uh, you know, cultural experience, see, you know, very different things as far as like historical sites, different types of food, different types of music. Um, and quick weekend trips. And I was like, man, if you can, if almost in my mind, I was like, okay, if I can take an international trip, so somewhere outside of the UK once a month mm-hmm. versus, you know, just holding out for once a year, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 12 more, you know, 11 more trips in a year, it just kind of increases your experience. Um, mm-hmm overall how do you feel like that's made you more of like a cultured individual as far as traveling and seeing other cultures uh, some people may not know how important that is in developing you as a person yeah man i think uh i would definitely say brandon 
pre-London is not the same post-London. I'm saying post-London or the, you know, the Brandon now. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I always, I always felt like I was a pretty socially aware person, you know, someone that really took, you know, a lot of pride in, uh, you know, I would say, you know, Black American history and just history in general and really trying to kind of understand the world. But I think what happens when you live abroad is that you just have so many different touch points, especially in London, because it's just such an international city um, that it really makes you kind of you end up going like two and three layers below what you, you know, kind of what you've already knew beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. And you end up kind of doing these deep dives and really, you know, really kind of challenging some of your own personal thoughts and beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. Really kind of, I think you get a better understanding of some of the uh, issues that are impacting the world globally, and but also like how you as an individual in the States are connected, you know, mm-hmm. to that particular issue. I think you really kind of understand how you may have a perceived notion, but I think it, it really kind of comes home how you as like, a, you know, me personally as a black male is perceived in the world. Mm-hmm. How, you know, myself as a Amer- an American is, you know, perceived mm-hmm. in the world. You know, I would say, you know, especially now with kind of like the dynamic kind of political environment that we have. Uh, and I think you gain a lot of empathy for other cultures. Like I took a trip to, and, you know, before going in, I would hear a lot of and read a lot about, you know, some of the issues as far as the conflict between the Palestinian folks and the Israeli folks. Um, and when you go there and visit with the people and see it for yourself, it really hits home. And then it also makes you kind of relate to some of the issues that, you know, people in your own community may have faced, you know, some of those similar challenges you know angela davis talks a lot about like palestinian solidarity mm-hmm. and like i don't think you can you can really have a lot of appreciation for it, but i think that empathy really increases you know once you travel and you know to a place and see it for yourself uh so i think for me it's made me more socially aware i think it's made me more i would say kind of a more connected person in the world i was also you know a very big i would say you know someone who's big into pan-Africanism, you know, that, you know, all, all of us that's within the diaspora are connected. You know, I Mm -hmm. believe that even tenfold, you know, now having, you know, lived abroad and, you know, you meet other black people and talk about, you know, their experiences in the world um, Mm -hmm. and just people in general, you know, people of different faiths, uh, different religions. And I mean, at the same time, it's just kind of this cool, you know, adventure that you're kind of having, you know, learning about the world, but also learning about yourself. Right, right. How has it been over there as far as like being a person of color for you specifically? Do you feel like you've been, well, you're in London, so I'm assuming there's other other Black people over yeah. there, but I don't know how that experience as being like a Black male from America compared to someone who's Black and has been living there their entire life. Yeah, I think, so, you know, this is just my opinion, because if you ask this question to probably 10 different people, you'll probably get 10 different answers. Mm -hmm. You know, for one, racism is, you know, everywhere. There's systemic racism everywhere. And, you know, obviously the British had a big part in, you know, kind of colonialism, you Mm -hmm. know, with the British Empire, et cetera. Some people can do some things that are just so overtly racist and you're just like, oh, you know that that thing just kind of happens in the states, right? Or it happens in the south. Um, <laughs> I think in the UK, I think the frequency of me observing things that are overt, overtly overtly racist 
is fewer as far as those frequencies. But I mean, racism is still there, just a little more subtle. I also feel like being a black American in London, a lot of times people will see me as an American first and then a black person second. And the only reason I'm, I'm just saying that, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that I think there is a, a lot of emphasis on classism uh, in the UK. And I think the per- perception is that, oh, if there's an American living in London, they must have this really great job or, you know, they're making a lot of money mm-hmm. kind of thing, especially when you open your mouth, right? And people hear like your American accent or they're here for school. So, you know, they maybe they're probably, you know, getting an MBA or, you know, some postgraduate uh, degree or, you know, they're here on some, you know, they could afford to come here, right? So they must have some disposable income. So mm-hmm. I think people will tend to treat you differently versus Sometimes when I go places and I may not open my mouth immediately, right? And people just see me. And then when I open my mouth, you can see people kind of switch and want to treat you differently, right? And I'm not saying that's right at all. I'm just saying that's just my observation that, you know, when sometimes when I open my mouth and people hear my American accent, they switch to how they initially were, you know, planning to interact with me. Like, oh, now they may think I have some extra discipline, et cetera. I did, in the UK, you know, there are quite a few Black people there. So, I mean, there's quite a few Black Americans there, but there's a large number of people, you know, Black people from all over, a lot of people from Nigeria, from Ghana, mm-hmm. a lot of people from the Caribbean, Caribbean that came over through uh, what they call, like, the wind rush when the UK mm-hmm. relaxed a lot of uh, visa rules because the UK said, oh, we need more waiters and waitresses and servants. <laughs> so they had, like, you know... It's a nice way to frame it. Exactly. So they had mm-hmm. a lot of people come from like, you know, Jamaica, Trinidad, you know, different parts of the islands uh, to the UK. I think in my observation, I think, well, I think it become can become pretty easy to be pretty siloed in those communities. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's multiple reasons for that. I think as a Black American, I find that as a Black American, you can kind of navigate through you know, those groups pretty easily, mm-hmm. right? Versus I think maybe sometimes if you grew up there, you may be more accustomed just to staying within that community and maybe not having as many other touch points with folks. But I mean, I may, I've have met and, you know, I have some really great, uh, what I would consider Black British friends that are Londoners that, that really reached out to me. You know, we were working together like, hey, let me show you around London, you know, right. and, you know right. and definitely right. like expose me to quite a bit that I, places I would have never found on my own, mm-hmm. you know, or just different things and how to go go about uh, different experiences. And the one thing I find in like, you know, all of my conversations with them, whether it's about racism or you know, classism or different political issues, there's always some similar, you know, some common ground between the issues and challenges that they have faced growing up and the issues that maybe I have faced or challenges I've faced growing up, right? And just mm-hmm. always bring me back to, you know, we're more connected to people than we uh, than we always think. Right. So the people that you hang around with out there, are they mostly like other foreign people who have imported into the city or people, local people? Or are you hanging around a lot of Americans there? Uh, it's probably a mix. I, I have a, a good number of Black American friends 
uh, that I come from different parts of the state that are living in London. And then I have some really good friends uh, that grew up in London in the UK uh, that I hang out with. So I would say it's probably like maybe 50, 50, maybe 60, 40. I probably have a, maybe one or two more, I would say black American friends than I do. I would say UK friends are just, I would say, let me just say American friends versus, you know, folks maybe who have either grown up in the UK or their families moved to the UK or they may have moved to the UK. You know, maybe they grew up in, Spain and moved to the UK or Italy and moved to the UK at some point in time. So I think I have a pretty good mix. I do think sometimes, you know, socially, I would say I was fortunate that uh, I made some pretty good connections with people Mm -hmm. who grew up in the UK or from different parts of the world. I think sometimes socially it can be difficult to kind of make those connections. I think the social circles in the UK can be pretty tight initially. Um, It's hard to make new friends as an adult. Yeah, it is, right? Because it's not like you're going to school every day and, you know, depending on your extracurricular activities. And then it's just life, right? You're right. going to work during the day. <laughs> At the end of the day, usually tired. You know, maybe you're going to the gym and, you know, you, you're going, you're in a lot of settings where you're just not, mm-hmm. where you probably aren't talking to a lot of people looking for, I would say, like social Right. you know connections verse you just and even get plugged say, in with that one person right find that one right. good person they'll throw you in some group me chats or exactly you can reach out to some of your frat brothers or something like that you know brand exactly. alpha i'm sure that's probably helped them somewhat some way over there and then yeah 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 so i mean it, so I, a lot of people i was gonna say there's a lot of people from hbcus that at least went to hb you know went to hbcu undergrad um and then maybe did graduate school, you know, at another um, institution or overseas mm-hmm. that I met. I, I got plugged in to a number of people from a good friend of mine in Houston. Her best friend was living in London. Okay. So she connected with me with her. And then I got, there's this large kind of black expat community mm-hmm. that I got connected with. And just really by happenstance, you know, two weeks after I moved there, they ended up having like a happy hour meetup. And okay. I end up meeting folks, you know, from there you start finding out you got mutual friends and, you know, mm-hmm. you start meeting more and more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also fortunate to meet some of my really good UK friends through work. It's difficult if you're just going out in the UK by yourself trying to just make friends. Mm-hmm. It's not like going out by yourself in New York or like places in the States. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> it, you probably will have a, I think you will have a, a challenging time just making friends just on the fly in the UK in some settings. Yeah. Uh, so you can't you can't be an introvert and try to move out there. You you can be an introvert, but I think you have to be able to switch it on. I think you have to be able to switch on the extrovert switch at least for a little bit, you know. Okay. Um I think and I think it's like anything. Whatever you put into it, you get out of it, right? That's mm-hmm. like any relationship or connection, you know. So you may have to reach out to people and not always just expect them to reach out to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you may have to whatever connection you make, like, hey man, anything that's going on that you checking out, you know, just so people can kind of get you in a loop of like at least where to even look, you know, where kind of the the happening stuff is uh going on. Do you ever feel like you have to be like the representative for all black Americans or all Americans in general while you're over there? If something happens over here at the States, 
certain people that you interact with will be like, man, what's up with y'all? And then you have to kind of defend your, your country or your people or explain <laughs> things. I know that has to happen out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it happens, especially when it comes to like politics, you know, mm-hmm. that's the number one question. Everybody always wants to talk about, especially when I first moved there, there's a right out there election. Everybody wanted to know, oh, you know, what's going on with Trump? You know, what happened with this? Or, you know, why did people vote this way? Why didn't people vote this way? So there, there can be settings where you, where people try and make you the representative of all things USA or all things Black America. But, you know, my typical response is, you know, this is my opinion. And, you know, Black people in the States and all over the world aren't singular. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever I tell you my opinion is and my experiences doesn't mean that every other Black person in the U.S. is, you know, going to be thinking the exact same thing. Right. So we're going to switch it up for a quick sec. So COVID hit. Tell me what happened as far as living-wise, work-wise, what happened? Yeah, I think, you know, in London when COVID happened, I think like much of the rest of the world, everybody's just trying to figure out what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. I think in my opinion, in the UK, it really got, I would say, real when Northern Italy had that large outbreak. Um, because it's not very far from the UK at all. It's like a two-hour flight, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people, you know, in and out of uh, Italy and Spain and the UK and other parts of Europe. And then I think at that point on, the government was like, okay, you know, we need to definitely start shutting things down. I, I, you know, for the most part, people started working from home around mid-March. And definitely by the end of March, people were, you know, working from home. And then, I, you know, in April, by early April, we were in full lockdown. Full lockdown as in the only thing that was open were pharmacies and grocery stores. Um, mm-hmm. And you had to wear a mask, you know, anytime you were outside, except if you were, like, exercising, you know, like doing a jog or something outside. Mm-hmm. And they were actually recommending all, people to only go outside for, like, one hour a day. London is a pretty lively city, for, and I just remember being outside at like eight o'clock at night, and it was like a ghost town. You know, like nothing was open. Um, no one was taking the tube, and you know, it's a, a pretty large metropolitan city, and people are like heavily dependent on public transportation. You know, not that many people are really driving. A lot of people are using the tube or the bus um, or the overground train to get around. Um, so you know, as time went on, I think. I think for the most part, people were complying with, you know, what the UK government was recommending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my opinion, if there were any people who were a little, you know, apprehensive about what was going on or had some reservations or, you know, maybe had different opinions. I think when Boris Johnson, the prime minister in the UK, got sick and, you know, he was on a ventilator. Yeah. Yeah. When he was on a ventilator, I think that's when... Whoever, you know, the last remaining naysayers, they were like, okay, this is, you know, this is real, right? right. You know, people thought, oh, I'm going to be insulated because I have money or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, whatever their perceived uh, socioeconomic status was. Or I think they definitely like, oh, okay, this can definitely touch any community, right? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's impacted, you know, some communities more than others. But I think at that point in time, everyone definitely started taking it, you know, very serious. And you're back over here in the States now, correct? Yeah, man. I, I came over here, um, you know, for some family reasons, 
but um so i've been here and this is like the early part of summer so around you know end of may early june um it's different i would say that it's different you know this is speaking for uh houston um you know when i first got here so i'm coming from you know london everybody's wearing a mask at that point in time right nobody is out I think the UK just said it was like, okay, for people to gather in groups of three at the park or something, right? No bars, no restaurants are open, no stores mm-hmm. open, only the grocery store and the pharmacy. And I, and I flew from London to Chicago, connected Chicago and came to Houston. And uh, the flight from London to Chicago is pretty much empty. Um, you know, I pretty much had like an entire like section to myself. Mm-hmm. And then on the flight, I remember landing in Chicago and when I land in Chicago, some people wear masks, some people aren't wearing masks. And I was like, okay, this is one of like the hardest hit cities, you know, what's going mm-hmm. on? You know, and I was like, okay, well, I'm on the flight. And I was like, man, this looks like a pretty full flight. You know, I thought, you know, the middle <laughs> row was. was <laughs> I bet you started empty. looking around. Man, that flight was packed. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that flight was packed. Like everybody in there was shoulder to shoulder. I got lucky, it had some points and like upgraded. So it was just like one other person next to me. And I remember okay, I landed. Brandon, Brandon's over there in Comfort Plus. Okay. <laughs> and there's the, um, the points, the point system I'm breaking up. <laughs> Excuse me. I'd like to move up a couple of seats. Um, <laughs> get me away from these poor people in the back, this basic economy people. Um, I, I need my leg wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, like, I landed in, uh, in Houston and I took a lift to my uh, girlfriend's place. And I remember passing up like two bars and like bars were like packed. This was like maybe right after Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Packed, like I was like, man, what is going on? Like, <laughs> you know, I just hadn't seen that many people at a bar. And, you know, when I was talking to a couple of folks, it all, at that point in time, it almost seemed as if people were talking as if COVID happened and not, it wasn't happening, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think it was just, just a different mindset. Right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know people kept talking about like a second wave of the fires coming. And I always tell them, man, we still on the first wave. Let exactly. me know when this first wave is over. Then we can talk about wave number two. But I, I'm exactly. Exactly. One. Do you feel like you were more safe staying over there compared to being over here? I've seen that in some articles that I've read as far as people staying overseas and they say, I don't want to go back to America. I see how crazy it is over there. I feel safer here. Yeah. Um, I will say I definitely didn't leave the UK for safety reasons. Uh, you know, I felt just as safe, if not safer in the UK. Like, you know, I had ex. If I needed, you know, I had access to medical facilities. If I needed, I had, you know, grocery stores, you know, uh, you know, whatever I needed. So, um, in my opinion, I think the way people in the UK, or at least in London, were responding to the virus was very different than what I observed at the time in Houston. And it's not exactly apple to apples because I know in Houston it's spread out, so people are driving, right? Mm. And, you know, obviously you can maintain some distance from other people. You're not having to walk on the street shoulder to shoulder to people. You're not having to use public transportation, but in the UK, you know, 
there's a high likelihood that you know it's gonna be a lot of people walking on the street in normal times, a lot of right. people on the bus, other two. We, we drive in Texas. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like I I haven't consistently driven a car until now, you know, in mm-hmm. four years, uh whenever I um got here. Um so it's just different. I didn't feel I didn't feel unsafe at all in the UK. Um and probably if it wasn't, you know, for you know some family reasons and uh you know my girlfriend been here at the time there probably would have been honestly no reason for me to to leave the leave the uk and i probably would have been just as fine mm-hmm. you know people can debate numbers you know from what they see what's reported or whatever but yeah. you know just my own personal feeling i didn't feel unsafe at all um in the uk and if you trust the numbers or not you know i know mm-hmm. people will debate what's reported etc but you know, based on the UK's population and the numbers as far as like cases, versus deaths, et cetera, you know, it's much lower than, you know, you know, definitely what was happening at the time or even now in the States and in certain uh, hotspots. So yeah. I, I definitely said I didn't leave the UK because I felt unsafe. Right, right. Well, yeah. well welcome back to America. <laughs> I know you don't want to come back via this route or because of all that's going on, but it's it's good to have you back in the States. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I will say this. I mean, in the when I was in the UK, man, I, probably from the beginning or mid-March up until end of May, early part of June, I probably only saw one person that I like knew personally in person. You know, one person, maybe two people, right? So when I got here, and after I did my quarantine, so y'all was staying in the house. Yeah, like I was in the house. Like only I was only really going out for a run, you know, early in the morning, and then on Fridays I would walk to the market, get some groceries for the week, Mm -hmm. and then you know go back to my place. But for the most part, I was just in my you know my my small flat. And after I did my quarantine here, you know, uh, you know. You started kind of seeing people, uh, not really out and about, but you know, you may see, you know, I saw like my cousins, I saw my parents, of course, I saw my girlfriend, and you like, you like, man, I almost forgot what it's like to socialize and interact with, you know, all these mm-hmm. people. But so, I will say the good thing was I, I definitely do appreciate, you know, being here, you know, with family and you know close friends, uh, you know, my girlfriend, et cetera. Because, man, the, the social aspect, I definitely under-appreciated, you know. Right. Um, How do you deal with that, like, like mentally, you know, that social? Mental health, et cetera, like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think I could have been as isolated, just cooped up in my flat, you know, mm-hmm. for another two months. In my mind, I was like, okay, you know, I can do this, no problem. But, nah, it wouldn't, you know, people need to, as humans, you need to have some type of social, you know, healthy social interaction, you know, obviously doing it safely, but yeah, it went to, I was, I was hardcore social distancing, mm-hmm. you know, um, and really just kind of in my, in my flat, you know, kind of cooped up. Yeah. Right. I had to do that for one week. Um, cause I had got sick for a little while just to make sure that I didn't have the virus and to stay home and see patients from home. And I was like, yeah, this issue is for the birds. Like, I need some social interaction type deal because I, I just couldn't sit in a house cooped up like that like for an extended time period. 
I mean, especially if, you know, I always say I'm mostly introvert, but if someone is like a true extrovert, mm-hmm. you know, they probably are, you know, we're definitely having a pretty tough time. Right. Just right. isolating. Yeah. Yeah. So last question. I just want you to leave a message for anybody thinking about working overseas, um, things they may need to know or last tidbit you want to add to things you already expressed earlier. Yeah, I mean, I highly recommend it. You know, I think, you know, for me personally, it's been a great experience. Uh, you know, other people that I've met, I've never, I haven't come, ac- I've rarely come across people who haven't had like a, you know, an amazing time. Nine times out of 10, what happens is people get overseas um, and they find themselves wanting to stay even longer, right? Or, you know, going to another country. Um, and I think if you already kind of have a travel bug, it goes from, you know, this tiny like travel mosquito to like, you know, this huge travel monster, like you just, you really just start thriving off of going to different places, interacting with uh, mm-hmm. different people. And I think even professionally, you know, regardless of what your industry is, um, you get to work with different business cultures, right? And so you're developing those skills as far as different situations. Uh, and even the way different cultures, different countries approach problems is different, right? Um, and so, I mean, it's been a great learning experience. I highly recommend it. You know, there are actually quite a few Facebook groups with people. You know, there's like Americans. You can just type in any city. If you come from the States, you'll find a group of people that live in there. They have questions. I know there's uh, Americans in London. There's Black mm-hmm. Americans in London. People are, you know, people have questions for me. You know, they're welcome to contact me, you know. Uh, on IG is B underscore cheat. So if people have questions for me, and then, I mean, I have quite a few friends that are like uh, really trying to build communities on connecting people who want to come uh, overseas and connect people. I'm happy to introduce them, but I mean, I would highly recommend it. I think it also helps you kind of lose, at least for me personally, my dependence even more so in the US. Like I feel now I could pretty much live anywhere. You know, I would be okay, I don't feel like I have to live in one place uh, to have, like, a good quality of your life. Nomadic Brandon Cheatham over there. You can move from place to place and <laughs> settle down wherever he needs to and adjust. All you need to give him is a bag of Cheetos, and he'll be all right. <laughs> Cheeto puffs. <laughs> yes, Cheeto puffs. I know you love him some Cheetos. So, yeah, all right, bro. I appreciate you sitting down and talking with me, chatting it up. Y'all make sure y'all pray for Brandon as he's back here in the States dealing with us pesky Americans. We sometimes don't want to wear our mask or sometimes don't want to sanitize our hands. Oh, make sure man, that he's don't get me started. <laughs> we want to make sure that he's able to get back to London and live it up over there and not bring the virus back over there and restart things up for them. <laughs> based upon what we did over here. Yeah, man. Good catching up with you, man. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah. Cool. Appreciate it, bro. So we got Brandon back here for Randy's Random Questions. We're going to knock these out. You ready, Brandon? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So you live in Texas and you've lived in Louisiana. So who has the best food out of Texas and Louisiana? No, I'm a, I would probably say Louisiana. Yeah, okay. I'm partial to some good gumbo, some good etouffee. Some good boudin. 
Mm. Yeah, some good boudin, some good sauce pecan. Yeah. All right. What you, what you like eating your crawfish with? Like sausages and corn? Sausage, corn, potatoes. One of my line brothers, he put neck bones in there one time, and I had never seen like neck bones in, in crawfish before. I've, I've seen that. I've seen that once. Uh, and the uh, first time I saw it, I, you know, my eye was like, I don't know what's going on here. But yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Something happens in London. You get locked up somehow. <laughs> yep. Something crazy happened. You, you blanked out. You got drunk. Somehow the, the police took you in. Which one of your homeboys in the States you calling to put something on your books? Who going to help him get you out? <laughs> You know, man, I'm fortunate. I got I have a couple people that put something on my books. But I would say actually the first person I would call would probably be my dad. And then yeah. my dad would just I tell him, like, look, I need you to call all these people for me. <laughs> you know, call my girl, call uh Anjali, my lawyer, call these people, you know, call Valor and do the whole list <laughs> and get me out. But I would say I also have a couple people, uh couple friends that work in the legal space in the UK. So if it was something, I'm assuming minor. <laughs> that, I don't that know, I you blacked out. All I know is you you, and you locked up. I'm, I'm hoping it's just like disorderly conduct or something. Yeah, I'm assuming it's minor. I should have somebody local that should be able to help me get out of a jail. Okay. Do you want your dad to tell your mom? Depends on what it is. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, let me let me get out first and then we can tell her. Okay. All right. So you're an alpha. What's it like living like leading the alpha yes. line, like blowing the whistle and stuff? I'm assuming you've been in the front of the line <laughs> multiple times. Like tell everybody what it's like leading leading <laughs> leading the alpha line, blowing the whistle. What do you mean, man? It's, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a great experience, you know. <laughs> Greatest fraternity, you know, so <laughs> Look, I'm looking at your face. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. I know this. Y'all love being some alphas, just like we love. You know, I will say this. I, I know this is. I know this is not part of the the uh, quick round, man. You'll be surprised how many. Maybe not really surprised, but there are tons of uh, people from Black Greek letter organizations uh, overseas that you end up uh, connecting with. You know, whether it's through your own fraternity or, you know, through other fraternities, sororities, I would think almost eight out of 10 people that I have come across that are, you know, from the states that are living in London, that are Black Americans are in some, you know, some organization. Uh, and you always end up having like mutual folks. I'm sure y'all connect so, better instead yeah. of just being in from organizations together. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, similar experience, different frame of reference, mm-hmm. you know. So you come back to the States. What's the one spot that you always come back to, like you got to go to when you come back in the States? Like restaurant spot or? Like, Man, hmm. that's a good. Because like when, I, yeah, go, when, I, like when say, I go back to Houston to like visit and stuff, I always make sure I go to Shipley's. I got to go back and give me some donuts. Like that's my spot when I go to Texas. Man, you like Shibley Donut? You know, yeah. I'm I like Shibley, but I would say I'm probably a Krispy Kreme person. Okay. I would okay. say um it's not necessarily a restaurant, but I will say when I get back to the stage, I definitely am uh, craving some good gumbo and mm-hmm. some good Tex Mex food. Okay. Yeah. 
if I can if I can get some good gumbo and some good like uh, enchiladas and tamales with the green verde sauce, I'm good. And some good gumbo with the uh, what they say with a lot of meat in the pot, okay. I'm I'm good. You know, you can find me on the couch taking a two hour nap, waking up, going back for another ball. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, knocked out from that gumbo, full of grease, but definitely is good. So, all right, <laughs> which one of these is the the better album between the two? The Carter One, Webby Savage Life. Carter One. Although I probably listened to Webby Savage Life heavily in mm-hmm. high school, Carter One is probably better quality. That's Carter One going into Carter Two. That was like peak Wayne uh, era. Yeah. You know that Carter One, like Father Like Son, and that Carter Two. That's when Wayne was just you know on fire. After that, yeah. I can't really speak on it. Yeah, but I would say Carter one. I know it's a lot of people who like the Carter three, but I, I after maybe like track six or track yeah. seven, like in my opinion, it just peters off because yeah, he got a hook in there talking about we shot the BB gun and all <laughs> stuff, and I'm like, I think I could have came up with a better hook than that. Yeah, so. you can't that album to me. You like you said, you can't just let it play. Right, mm-hmm. I'm skipping tracks. Yeah. Right. Carter one, you can let that play from like beginning to end, just letting it ride long road trip. So if you had to exactly. use one if you had exactly. to use one word to describe 2020, what would it be? Ooh. That might be might not even be a word, might be that, that's that expression. <laughs> Man, uh craziness. Like I feel like we are in a very long Black Mirror episode. Yeah. You know, this is, uh, I think a lot of things that we were doing before and behaviors will change. Uh, mm-hmm. This is just, a. I feel like we are just like in a, you know, Black Mirror, this is crazy sci-fi movie. You know, it's like Contagion part Black Mirror <laughs> part. Um, you know, was uh, it wasn't uh, Walking Dead, but like Fear of the Walking Dead. Like this oh, is yeah. Just, I'm just waiting on the zombies. I'm just in here waiting on the zombies. Yeah, that's why I go exercise. Regularly. I told my friend. <laughs> yeah, I told my friend, man. You know, and all the numbers they report. I was like, dude, if somebody who has, and I'm not making light of the situation, but you know, somebody who has passed away from COVID wakes up, I was like, bro, it's it's over. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's over. It's, it's Will Smith. I am legend out here. It's over. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Just gonna have to pray for all of this to go away, Lord Jesus. It's like the the way that we looked at people last year, maybe in a grocery store who were wearing masks, like, oh, you sick. I'm gonna stay away from you. But now it's the total opposite. Like if you see somebody yep. without a mask, you're like, oh, you crazy. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm gonna stay with you. Like it's totally flipped from one year to another. Yeah, man. So, all right, we're gonna let you off the hot seat. That's it for <laughs> all right. random all right. questions. So, I appreciate you participating with me, bro. Yeah, yeah, man. No problem. Well, that's a wrap, healthy people. Living overseas is very different, but can be done. If you're a world traveler, it may be for you. More people are working from home now because of COVID 
and this may be a permanent thing. So who said that working from home had to be in the States? Hmm, never thought about that, have you? If you have any questions about living overseas, hit Brandon up on Instagram at B underscore cheat. Or look on Facebook for one of those groups he mentioned that consists of foreign people living abroad. I hope you all learned something regarding vaccines and their components. Vaccine components help the vaccines to be effective, kill unwanted bacteria in the vaccine, help induce immunity, and have other functions. These functions have a low risk of causing harm, but that doesn't mean they can't have side effects. I want to make sure that's clear. Depending on the vaccine, you can have a headache, arm pain if you're having an injection, and feel feverish. I've gotten the flu vaccine almost every year, but there was one year that I felt real fatigued for one or two days after getting the vaccine. So you can have symptoms after having a vaccine. I want to make sure that's clear. Most symptoms can be attributed to your immune system responding and helping develop your immunity. If you have any questions about vaccines, please make sure to ask your doctor or talk to your local pharmacist. Your local pharmacist is a great resource of information and may be able to tell you more about the vaccine than your physician. Thanks again for listening. Please rate, like, and subscribe, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That will help me out a lot. Thank you, Golden Child 42 for leaving a comment. I really appreciate that. They put that my podcast is a mix of useful information with a spin of normalcy and laughter. A great listen for all medical topics. I appreciate that, Golden Child 42. I'm glad you're laughing at some of my dry jokes. Don't forget to share with others. The next few episodes, I'll be discussing COVID. I hope you will enjoy the COVID series, which will consist of about three to four episodes discussing the virus. I'll be having discussions with individuals inside and outside the world of healthcare. If you enjoyed these episodes that I've done thus far, you will enjoy the next episodes on COVID as well. Follow me on IG and Twitter at underscore Dr. Randy if you haven't done so already. I'll see you again in two weeks. You know the deal. Stay healthy physically and mentally. Really, take care of yourself physically and mentally. Let that sink in. And go eat something healthy today too. Put them Chick-fil-A waffle fries down. All right, I'm through. Do you